are your people to see that plan to fruition. If we have a desire and a belief that faith is actually impactful, that faith is in itself transformational, but we're sort of underwhelmed by the Christian experience, I would simply offer to you, we probably need a better strategy and we probably need to think a little differently about how we do church. So I created this series with the hopes of we would walk into a covenant relationship. And that's what I want to talk about today. But the idea was simply that we would resolve to love each other in a way that the world looking in would say, I don't get that kind of care for one another. Your church does that for each other? Yeah. Or that we would love others beyond our walls and we would be people who live on mission. Regardless of our day job, we would live as sent ones because of this living faith. So we could be the church whether we're gathered or whether we're scattered. And then thirdly, that we would love God. Trusting God by faith even when it seems uncertain. And any of these things can't be accomplished in a vacuum. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever lived through a remodel? Have you ever lived and occupied a space that you outgrew? If you've lived through a remodel, you know it's hard to ever relax. There's dust, there's always something to do. Uh, it's hard to ever feel like if you work all day, you come home to put your feet up because it's in disrepair. Same thing is if you have this kind of living arrangement and it's you and maybe a roommate and then you add a dog and then the dog gets big and then you add in the second dog and maybe another roommate or if you're a young couple, you add a child and a dog and all of a sudden you're like, uh, it's, it doesn't feel good to live here. What you realize is we've kind of outgrown this space. And what I'm suggesting is the point of any kind of remodel or change in a living condition isn't, unless you're flipping a house, but isn't better amenities. It isn't, it isn't just for the sake of just having more appreciable value. The point is to dwell. And when we come to faith in Christ, the point is that we need to make room in our life because Christ wants to dwell in us. But we cannot simply invite God into my already mildly blessed and successful life and say, could you just make it a little better? For us to make room for God, it often feels like, well, there's a sacrifice or maybe there's a surrender or there's a conviction that we must respond to. Sometimes when we're making room, it feels like a change in priorities or a shift in desires. But the point is that our Christian experience is always under construction. We are a work in process. And the process that we need to understand is that our hearts are needing to make room for the ministry and the activity of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what we're trying to do when we come into relationship with God. It's not like remodeling a house to simply make our life prettier or easier. It's so that we can enlarge our hearts so that regardless of what we go through, whatever we face, we're experiencing the ministry and the presence of the Holy Spirit so we know we're not lost. That's the kind of Christian existence we're invited into, but that's not the kind of Christian existence that most people experience. 
And so I began to have thoughts about what that would look like. Um, there is this verse that you're probably familiar with. It comes out of the wisdom writings of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 29, 18. And it says this, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instructions. Another version of this might say, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now the problem is, is that we as a people are ambitious. We as individuals have goals and, and ideas about what success might look like. That's not what this verse is actually talking about. It's talking about a divine vision, a divine commissioning, so that we could live our lives, enlarge our hearts, and learn how to love how God loves grieve over what grieves God's heart. See as God sees. This is the invitation to enlarge our heart, the Christian experience. And so the words in here are interesting because when you talk about revelation or vision, it's this divine communication that always came down through the prophets. And the prophets were mostly not popular people. <laughs> the prophets were always sort of going against the grain of what everyone else was doing. And they were sort of the warning to say, there's a better way for you to live in harmony with God and harmony with each other. But people didn't like that kind of change. They liked what they liked. We like what we like. And then it says this idea of restraint. And restraint is an interesting word because restraint paints a picture for us like there's a ceiling that we bump up against or, or shackles that keeps us from going further. But there's this limitation. And it says those are the ones that perish or uh, those are the ones that wander. And so what I've been suggesting over the last several years is, is reframing sort of what the church can be and the mission of what I think the church is called to. Some of you, this will sound like review, but let me just kind of revisit where we've been. I began studying um, the scriptures and in the Old Testament, specifically the first five books of the Bible called the Torah, are 613 commands. Many of you have heard me share this before. And those 613 commands were God's invitation to live in harmony with each other and with him and our environment. And so it had all manner of how to do business or how to live in community or how to be a church or how to treat the environment. It had all manner of implications. But a rabbi would come along, and by the way, this is what Jesus taught, the law and the prophets. A rabbi would come along, a Hebrew teacher, and he would interpret all 613s. And each rabbi would have their own interpretation. And that interpretation was the very beginnings of what we now know as denominationalism. Have you ever thought about why are there so many expressions of Christianity? Well, this is sort of the very beginnings because some people would take what God said and they would say, oh, and they would have their points of emphasis. And so the emphasis would be, well, here's the things you can and can't do on the Sabbath. If it's a day of worship, you can't walk more than 50 yards or lift anything more than two pounds. What? 
That seems kind of harsh. And there was all of these things that you weren't supposed to do. Other would say, no, 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 it's all about the study of the law and the prophets and the Psalms. It's a study of God's word. That is preeminent above all other things. And then other people, rabbis would say, oh, no, no, no. It's about justice and mercy and how to care for the least of these. And so these rabbis would have this interpretation of 613 commands that were all decent and good, but they became very legalistic. Jesus comes along and he says um, because they would gather in the temple courts and what they would try and do in this dialogue is in, in the temple courts to say how would we best summarize all of the law and the prophets and they would say well I can kind of do that in this many or this many and Jesus comes along I can kind of do it in two love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind strength and love your neighbor as yourself and they were astonished at this kind of summary of all of the law and the prophets well a rabbi's interpretation was called their yoke and Jesus being a rabbi a master rabbi at that, invites people to follow in his yoke. Do you remember what Jesus said about his yoke? He says, my yoke is useful and my burden is light. So all of these people who are trying to be good and faithful followers of Yahweh were feeling the weight of legalism, that if their oxen fell in a hole, they weren't allowed to get it up out of the ditch because it happened to be Sabbath. Or if someone was healed on the Sabbath, they weren't allowed to carry their own mat. And it just became this burdensome thing. Jesus comes as this great liberator and, and wanting to express it much more differently. In fact, the yoke, because we're not in agricultural society, would be something that would be harnessing two oxen. But guess what? The two oxen were going to be very different in age. Because if you put an, a young oxen with a young oxen, they would not know how to pace themselves in tilling the soil. It was always with an older oxen that you would be yoked with. Jesus, in his invitation, says, I want you to yoke yourself with me because my interpretation of all these things is actually useful. So when I began, and again, I'd worked in the church for over 20 years, I didn't see a very useful yoke. I saw some things that were good, and I've seen, I could give lots of anecdotal evidence, but I wanted to consider what would a more intentional path for making disciples look like. And so I took seven rhythms. You've heard me talk about rhythms. Generosity and compassion and community and renewal. Uh, it talks about gratitude, and we talk about apprenticing. Uh, and so when we go through these rhythms, all I'm trying to do is not be theologically exhaustive. I'm trying to be utterly practical and useful with how we as a church can live out our faith, can use our faith or leverage it for the benefit of others, but also pass on a living faith that we're able to talk about in everyday and ordinary terms. So that was really the genesis of what we tried to do from the beginning. And for the last four years, we've tried to have as many laboratory contexts. I've tried to encourage as many um, tangible expressions of that. And we've had some wonderful wins over the last four years. It has been wonderful. 
and so my idea was, how could we continue to go further? Because one of the things I wanted to interrupt was sort of the Sunday go to church. Because if you're like me, you grew up in the church or you have had exposure to the church. But just occupying a pew doesn't necessarily transform a life. It's super helpful. It's super important. But there needs to be kind of a pathway or what I call a strategy. And so that's what we began talking about. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting, and I'm going to illustrate this in a second, when the New Testament writers in the words translated for vocation or calling. When the New Testament writers write, wrote about that, it was never in reference to your job, your trade, or your profession. When the New Testament writers were talking about it, there was one translation that they intended, discipleship. So Paul, as one of the New Testament writers, is writing to these Greeks living in the city of Corinth. Imagine what Corinth is like. Think about it in these words, because he used an athletic analogy. He speaks to people where the birthplace of the Olympic Games, the Greek Games, they knew all about athletic competition. This was sort of the epicenter. And so he uses language of the people that they could understand. He didn't come in with Jewish language. He came in with the language of the culture. And this is what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. He talks about the need for self-discipline when it means if we're to grow spiritually. Do you not know that in a race, all of the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get said prize. In other words, stop following Christ just for a participation award. <laughs> There's a prize. Keep going. What I would say, my own translation, don't be satisfied with simply being a believer. Don't be satisfied with simply getting saved. Run for a greater prize that, that we're invited into. He goes on to say this, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. In other words, there's a plan and a path carved out. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body to make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. What he's talking about is a recipe or a, or, or a suggestion for spiritual fitness for a kind of intentionality. And so when he's saying, I beat my body, have any of you done sit-ups to the point of feeling a burn? Have you done your morning workouts and you're thinking, I have not one more rep left in me? Any of you do Camp Gladiator understand what I'm talking about? And so there's this sense that spiritually, we're supposed to contend for a greater level of fitness. But how have we as Westerners created the church? We've tried to make it as convenient, as comfortable as possible. Don't get me wrong, I prefer padded seats. I prefer air conditioning or heat when needed. 
I prefer optimal times during the day. But if this becomes the primary way we express faith, it won't be transformational. And so what I've been trying to advocate for is a kind of lifestyle church that creates a lifestyle path that we can integrate it into the whole of life. Because I think that's what the New Testament writers, so regardless of your day job, stay-at-home parent, healthcare, construction, installation, high-tech, it doesn't matter. Your calling as a Christ follower is to put the divine on display. So how are you able to articulate and present the kingdom of heaven on earth in the most corporate, messy, difficult environments? This is our invitation. Um, I, I have to say, um, I, um, my son came home. He joined, um, it's not your average college boy. Uh, he came home from Texas A&M, and he joined a group called the Brotherhood of Christian Aggies. I don't know what your college experience was like. Mine was good, uh, but mine wasn't exactly like his. Um, it's not an official fraternity, but he joined this Christian men's organization, and his pledgeship lasted from about September until Thanksgiving. So in the course of about three and a half, four months, <laughs> he was required to, um, they broke, there was, there's 100 guys in the house, 30 of them are pledges, 70 are active. And part of his pledgeship was, um, you need to, they broke them up into groups, pledge families. And so every Monday morning at 6.30 a.m., they were meeting for Bible study and accountability. And then Monday nights, they were going to house meetings. But then during the week, they were supposed to interview all 70 of the active members spend at least one hour having a substantive conversation or doing something fun together, and they had to get their signature on it. I thought, this is what it means to join an organization? Uh, by Thanksgiving, they needed to memorize verbatim, without stumbling, all of Romans 12. I'm like, uh, which, what does Romans 12 even say? But this is what they did, and he knows it, and you can go ahead and quiz him because he still got it. He came to ACL one weekend last fall, and he had been there Friday night, he had been there Saturday into the night, and he was going to go Sunday, but before he went on Sunday, he's like, I got to go to church. And so we live near Riverbend Church. And so he's went over in the morning because part of his pledgeship, you're not allowed to miss church. And you need to be able to show up with a church bulletin and say what they talked about at church. Does this sound mildly legalistic to you? Or does this sound like spiritual fitness? It sounds, and I'm like, I could never ask people, okay, friends, in the next three months, memorize Romans 12. We can't even get people to bring Bibles to church, and they're memorizing all of Romans 12. That's not legalism. That's spiritual formation. His life is growing, and I couldn't be more excited. He's rooted in God's word. And so I love the nature of this college guys organization that just commits to one another, this is what it means to join us. And I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's impactful. 
And yet I've spent my whole life around church never seeing what membership produces in the way of growth. It does, it's not that it says it doesn't happen, but a lot of times we believe the idea that membership has its privileges. That was the credit card commercial years ago. Membership has its privileges. That sounds like entitlement, like I've been here for 30 years. The bastard better take my call. You know, I mean, it's, it's that kind of, of sort of entitlement. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. If we're invited to grow our capacity to love, to let the Holy Spirit of God dwell in our hearts and our minds, we have to do the hard work of making room. And it involves a different level of commitment, of sacrifice, if on the far side of obedience, transformation is what we want. So, uh, my motivation for a church startup was, again, to reimagine how faith and community and mission could look different. And one of the things that I've wanted to do in partnership with you is change the narrative of what church and faith and community look like. I wanted to change the narrative uh, of people who have occupied and tried to live out faithfully being in church and, and following Christ, but are still struggling with feeling underwhelmed. I wanted to change the narrative with our friends looking in outside and going, I don't get why you give the church your time or your money. It, where's the generosity? Where's the care? Where's the justice? Where's the compassion? And I'm like, we've got to work on changing that narrative. And I've seen people their whole lives occupy the church and be godly people. I've also seen people be members their whole life and be really slanderous and really ugly. And I'm saying, at what point are we working on growing our capacity of love and letting the Holy Spirit of God dwell in us? Because it doesn't matter how good my rhythms are, unless the Holy Spirit is a part of it, that's the change agent. So all I'm trying to do through our rhythms is create a sort of fertile soil where, where this kind of transformation can, can be experienced. So let me just say this up front. I want to give you a, a disclaimer that we are just a baby church coming of age. I'm trying to guide us in a way that allows us to keep taking next next step forward and so one of the steps that I feel like we're, we're talking about is a is a more of a formalized commitment tonight um, and it's the idea of being a part of a community that we stand in solidarity to one another I think there's things in our western culture that we have to resist it almost feels un-american what is american independence what is american consumerism. And I think when it comes to Christianity, we're invited to take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow him. So there's this invitation that we have to die daily so that Christ may reign in me. And so I wanted to invite people to stand with each other in solidarity uh, through a covenant. And let me just say this, covenant always starts with God. Um, and if you have a relationship with God, I think a plan and a community is super critical. Um, and as I said before, you can believe, you can be a convert, um, you can be saved and be largely unaffected. But we're not called to just believe or convert, but we're called to follow. And I call this following a kind of discipling. And so the hope is to practice a living faith. Now, what I want to make sure we're clear on is this yoke, this, this sort of effort put forth, is what the grace of God does for us 
because there's some misperceptions about what grace really is. Grace has a way of um, thinking like, well, um, I'll just say it this way. I think grace invites us to deeper levels of participation. I think grace invites us to try all the more harder, not to be loved by God, but to work out our faith and our righteousness in pursuit of the image of God. It understands that we're already entirely accepted and unconditionally loved by God. And so the Apostle Paul wrote about this. Apostle Paul was an overachiever. Apostle Paul had sort of gotten to all the highest rungs of the ladder uh, in society. But he said these words, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. And so it's not the opposite of works. It's applying our ability to work hard and to, to see Christ in the middle of it and say, I'm already accepted and loved. But I can, with this sort of fitness regimen, be transformed into the image of Christ. Um, I've said before that change needs to be assumed. Our lives just are not static. It's just constantly evolving. Um, but growth, particularly spiritual growth, um, is never automatic. Uh, and so what I wanted to do was outline a, a kind of way for us to be in covenant and, and, and grow together. And um, you don't have to be in covenant with us tonight. You don't have to stick your hand in the air or share some vows together. This is not an obligation. It doesn't change the nature of our friendship. But I am looking for you to have some kind of plan. So if not this, what is it? What is it for you? And who are your people? My job at the end of the day is to equip the saints, not the sinners. You're the saints. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I'm not supposed to do the ministry as some performer and try and impress you. It's let me equip the saints. And the best way, it's like joining a gym. If I was a fitness trainer and you wanted to grow in some, you wanted to compete in a Ironman triathlon, I would have to give you a regimen. I would have to give you a plan if I was worth my salt, right? And so you're coming to Mission Hills and saying, you're the pastor. And I'm saying, here's the plan. Let's grow in spiritual fitness together. And so um, the other thing that I, I noticed in scripture is that our spiritual lives, our salvation um, is dynamic. It's progressive. It's not static. In other words, it's not like I just arrive at this point where I got saved and I'm good and I'll try not to let bad things happen or do bad things. But the invitation is to keep growing. In fact, I've shared before that I haven't found any concept of spiritual arrival in all of scripture because the invitation of Jesus is to keep taking next steps even when I don't feel like going any further or I feel like I've come so far. And so 
when we talk about this dynamic relationship, it's to grow in intimacy. It's to grow in grace, like the Apostle Paul said. It's to grow in our identity in Christ because the world would say, you're only as good as your last presentation. You're only as good as last quarter's numbers. You're only as good as your net worth. And we need to resist that and say, my identity is in Christ alone. So what's your plan? And who are your people to walk in identity and grace um, and, and truth like that? So uh, faith grows through covenant relationship um, with Christ and a commitment to a community. I experienced what it meant to be married 25 years ago. But we've gone through a lot in 25 years. And my marriage, like my salvation, I have a deeper understanding of what that looks like. And every day has been sort of this new adventure of working out my vows before my wife. 25, I have a whole different perspective. Salvation works the same way. It's constantly changing and it's dynamic. And God's inviting us to continue on further with him. So in a minute, I, I'm going to invite you, uh, for those of you who have kind of been praying, I've been communicating for the last month, I want to invite you to just join us in Covenant Community. I asked you to maybe fill out these. We weren't going to sign them yet, but I wanted to just share some vows. And in B, if you want to join us, we're going to just respond in worship. I want to pray with you as we prepare our hearts to have sort of a, a covenant ceremony together. And um, let me just bow our hearts and our heads and just pause before we go further. Our Father in heaven, um, I'm aware that you have begun a, a story in each of our lives. And I'm fully convinced that you have plans to prosper us plans for a hope and a future, but we also know that in that context, we have to deal with a lot of stuff. So I pray that this would be a covenant community who just shares in your love, that we would be committed to building a laboratory of grace and practice that we would see people formed into the image of Christ, that we would see people come into saving knowledge of Christ, that we would see the margins of Austin and the world touched with the love of God. And I'm aware that I can only do the seed work and trust you with the results. And I'm aware that I'm better together than I am alone. So I pray that you would invite us to join you in this great journey and to invite uh, your Holy Spirit to bring a spirit of agreement around us. Lord, have your rule and have your reign, have your will and have your way, we pray in Jesus' name.